Thank you for listening in right now. Glad to have you here. My name is Nyla, and this is Greener Thoughts. I help you understand the environment today so you can experience a greener life. Let's connect online. You can reach Greener Thoughts by voice message. The anchor.fm link is in each episode's show notes. You can do so via the Anchor app or by email at greenerthoughtspodcast at gmail.com. Welcome to the 2020 Retroactive Greener Thoughts Earth Day Celebration Giveaway. To enter, I'd love for you to pick a Greener Thoughts podcast episode and let me know why it's your favorite. Number two, explain why you love Greener Thoughts podcast and how it's impacted you. Be sure to email your answers to me at greenerthoughtspodcast.gmail.com. The giveaway ends midnight Eastern Standard Time, the last day on the giveaway month. So it would be in the last day of April, retroactively. Limit one page answer for your submissions. And also it's a limit of three winners in the giveaway. everyone so I just want to start off with the uh, first segment and talk about some episode announcements just some quick things to you know hear about in the podcast episode one of them is that April 26th is International Day of Chernobyl so the Chernobyl disasters if anyone um, remembers it was of this huge a nuclear explosion that happened all the way uh, in the Ukraine um, region, you know, Russia. Um, they got hit really bad from the wave of nuclear dust and radioactivity. Um, you can check it out, the uh, series that was on HBO. I talked about it some months back. It's amazing. Really, I'd say graphic in some ways. It's alarming. It's kind of scary, but it's real life. It's what happened. Um, and it's a, a point in history that you know we'll never forget. And I also want to talk about some giveaway things. I'll be definitely putting it on, so just listen uh, further into the episode so you can check out the info there. And so it will be um, probably until the um, end of the retroactive month. So even though this is recorded in September. Um, I'm going to have it be till the uh, end um, of the April month, so it'll be only a few more days. Uh, Generally, I've had my giveaways be a month, so the next giveaway that I'm planning on doing, um, you know, that will be also uh, for May retroactively, so maybe that'll be a bit longer, but for this one, it'll be definitely cut short. Um, Apologies in advance. I hope that you all can partake in it and have some fun doing it. Next up is headlines from the hemispheres. It's a quick briefing on environmental news all around the world, coming from different parts of the world. So the first headline is out of the UK. So it's all across uh, the pond. And so it's about refugees and creating an amazing organization 
uh, behind Saving the Bees. So meet the refugees creating a buzz in the UK during the pandemic. And this is from a new site, a different one called positive.news. I wanted to vary the uh, news streams and look for some new sources. And I'm really happy to have done so. And I hope that you enjoy uh, news from positive.news in the future. So Bees and Refugees is an organization that's pretty cool. It was founded uh, to provide free beekeeper services and training and equipment to refugees who happen to be living in the UK. And so they can establish themselves and sort of uh, make the native uh, bee populations and colonies in West London thrive. So they've established at least 20 new native colonies as of yet. And Al-Zazin, uh, was one of the first uh, founders of the organization. And so he learned beekeeping techniques from his grandfather, who's a native of uh, Syria. So Al was uh, founder of Bees and Refugees. And with the Bee Improvement and Bee Breeders Association, they now believe, because of their efforts, that the native insects' resistance uh, to the uh, different mite that's there uh, could also help rebound its honeybee populations. And so in as little as 25 years, the black bee could uh, self-sustain itself and reach uh, population levels that weren't seen before. This is really, really good news. Uh, the second headline is all about climate change and Australia estuaries. So climate change rapidly warms and acidifies Australian estuaries. And you can learn more about this news piece on nature.com. It's for those who love uh, research and most of the articles are open source or open access. So that means that they're free to the public to share to analyze, to download, you can do a lot um, with these free access journal articles and research articles. So with the estuaries that are coming out of Australia, there's almost 170, so about 166 of them uh, over the last uh, 12 years, so a little bit over a decade, that has had their uh, temperatures increased. And they've increased a little bit, about 2.16 uh, uh, Celsius degrees. So um, the parts of Australia that have warmed more are Eastern Australia, unfortunately, uh, than the rest of the continent. So the findings overall show that the estuaries are generally warming uh, faster uh, than uh, temperatures before, and they're more concentrated, uh, and much of the warming is happening in places like lagoons and rivers, and they're not really happening in places like lakes and creeks and other small bodies of water. The estuaries, though, uh, aren't really uh, or affected more so um, than um, just air or ocean temperatures. They're really affected by other factors uh, as well. And then last but not least, there is the next uh, headline about uh, groups from Western Pennsylvania and how they're fighting back against cancer-causing chemicals. So Western Pennsylvania environmental groups seek more monitoring of cancer-causing benzene. And you can look more into that news on environmentalhealthnews.org. 
So this there's a few different uh, groups that are fighting to make sure that they are getting the funding that they need to fight uh, some of the uh, cancer-causing factories that are out in Pennsylvania. So there's a group with an interesting name called um, the Group Against Smog and Pollution, or GASP, uh, sort of fitting there. And they really are pressing upon the Allegheny County Health Department uh, to step up their benzene monitoring um, and their uh, regulations across the region because they really are notable in having high uh, rates of um, lung disease and air pollution affecting the residents there and cancer rates are sky high there. And the EPA, they recently were offering funding to go about monitoring uh, air toxins in the air. So things like benzene uh, is really pressing. So they they thought to offer funds. And so the people really want those funds. And the EPA's made tons of grants available. They've made about 10 to 20 grants available at about a quarter of um, or uh, three quarters of a million dollars. That's a lot of money uh, just in funding. And so GASP uh, plans to uh, definitely launch a petition, and they already have, urging the Allegheny County Health Department to get those grants uh, for funding so that they can uh, get the monitoring started and uh, you know see and regulate the uh, chemicals that are in the air. Allegheny County has some of the worst air quality in the country, and it regularly receives all Fs on the American Lung Association's air quality report. So this story is a bit new. It comes from phys.org. So that's phys as in like physical or physics. That is one of the new uh, sources that I'm going to use for information in the future. And I thought to do so now. I, I thought to do a bit more exploring and uh, looking for sources that are definitely environmentally uh, based with the information. And uh, fizz.org has so much information out there. I'm so happy that I came across this. It has all types of different categories, environmental ones, climate uh, change, uh, things about biochemistry, uh, things about social science, which is where I got this a news piece information mainly from, and I'm really excited to share with you all what I found. I think to talk on this, uh, we're, we're talking about food uh, insecurity and how the coronavirus has really created such a narrowing of uh, supports. So it's even harder now for people to get where, where they need to be, get the food that they want, because uh, some companies have gone on the business, some corporations are never coming back. They've been hard hit. They've had to destroy their crops or cull their animals or kill their animals or uh, burn or bury uh, some of their foods, some potatoes, for example. That's a, a recent uh, story. I saw actually the videos about it. A uh, company was was burying its crops, and uh, it got me kind of sad, but also angry at the fact that there are people who are starving. And I love potatoes, and so the fact that they had to do that because they, you know, didn't want to worry about uh, contamination or there was no, um, there was no uh, gap for that. That there was no gap of uh, that food being uh, eaten at the grocery stores. People aren't buying the foods. So that's, you know, a, a reason that they had to, you know, sort of get rid of that product. So with us facing the 
effects of the coronavirus uh, in our families, our friends, at work, um, just every avenue of life that's been affected. I figured, you know, where is it affecting us most? How is it affecting our food? Um, who's most most at risk uh, in the nation here in the U.S.? Um, I'm not sure about abroad, but I'm sure that there's plenty um, in our food chains that's been destabilized. People across the country and the world are feeling the effects. Um, you know, people have been out of work for, for months um, and some aren't bouncing back as quickly. So we're going to look at the coronavirus and the research that was done out of the University of Arkansas, or Arkansas and um, how it's impacted uh, people. So the research, uh, again, comes out of the University of Arkansas uh, from sociologists, and they did a huge online survey of almost uh, 11,000 people. It's, it's accurately, though, 10,368 adults. Um, and so they looked at uh, different states and how the participants were reporting food insecurity. So this is in the wake of the coronavirus uh, epidemic, and so this research is uh, pretty hefty because there's a lot of people who, who've been surveyed um, for this. So it was done in the latter part of March in 2020. And so the respondents were from different regions in the U.S. And so they were from like the South, uh, Mid-Southern regions, Midwest, and the Northeast uh, uh, regions in the U.S., so those who were from the southern and mid-southern regions, they were um, responding as more food insecure than uh, the U.S. on average nationally. But those in the Midwest, so places like North Dakota, South Dakota, Illinois, places like that, uh, Michigan, etc., they uh, were a part of the Midwest and also northeastern states, so like Maine, uh, Connecticut, Massachusetts, uh, Pennsylvania, um, those typically responded less uh, food insecurity. So uh, those um, who may not know, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, or USDA, they put food insecurity in two categories, which are kind of similar, but they're not exactly. And so, you know, me learning these two uh, insecurities, I thought they were kind of um, different. So I figured why not just, you know, talk about them. So the first is that uh, one is reduced quality, desirability, or variety of diet is known as low food uh, security. And then the second type is uh, it, the type of food security uh, uh, that disrupts your eating patterns or reduces uh, your food intake. This is known as very low food security. So on average with the respondents, they about 38.3%, so almost 40% uh, throughout the U.S., they were reporting that they had moderate to high levels of food insecurity. So this is pretty high, but this isn't um, nothing new, especially to me, because I know that uh, food insecurity is a, a top issue when it comes to social issues because it has to do with hunger and affects every population group that you can think of. So Alabama 
was one of the highest uh, levels of food insecurity that they saw in the survey. And the individuals responded at about 47.7%. So Alabama had the highest level of food insecurity. And then uh, second was Arkansas at 47.4%. And then Tennessee at 45.1%. And Kentucky at 44%. Iowa had the lowest percentage of respondents who uh, were saying that they were food insecure, but it's still pretty high at 24.5% or about one in four people. So that's almost 25%. Um, The survey was great because it was part of some initial funding, some start funding um, from a bigger study that was way bigger. And the funding dollars were $185,000 from the Rapid Response Grant from the NSF, or National Science Foundation. Now for some notable quotables. Uh, One of the professors and researchers in the study, one of three, he had a few different quotes that he uh, had from uh, the research, and one of them is this one. So, quote, We need to recognize that with a supply chain that is fractured, Service providers unable to fill the gap and a whole new group of people who are unemployed, it is no wonder that food insecurity would be elevated. We already had high food insecurity in this country, and now we are putting to, putting another layer of need on top of it. End quote. This pandemic has really shown that here in the U.S. we have some really... Um, tough spots that we need to fill. We have food insecurity that on top of everything else we have to deal with is is making life harder. Um, you know, me, myself, I try to make food stretch. Like I don't eat as many uh, meals as I would have even months back. Um, I would, I eat mainly, mainly like one big meal sometimes now last me through all the day or maybe two meals. I don't eat um, just to eat anymore. And I think um, I'm affected that way and it may be, you know, food insecurity, but I think it's also me, um, trying to stretch meals so that I'm able to have them last like longer. Um, and that's a great way to lose weight as well. I think that, um, with the, with the problem in the U S is that we're not getting the food to where it needs to get to. And there's a gap as far as who's paying for the food. Um, and, and with people who are unemployed, it's even tougher because either they're going to have to, you know, pinch pennies and, and buy in bulk or, you know, go to the grocery stores uh, less often or get like low, lower quality foods. So like fast foods or takeout um, just to uh, fill in the gaps, which is unhealthy, but it's, it's what they're going to have to do to make ends meet. Um, I know that sometimes, you know, food. Um, it gets expensive, you know, in prices, uh, they, they tend to soar and they don't care how much you make or if you make food at all. You know, they're, they're grocery stores who are willing to accept EBT cards, but they don't care about, you know, where you get your money from. You know, the, the government has so much money, they're able to print off so much money, but yet people are struggling to, to live in places to feed themselves, you know. The fact that people can get $100 a week or $200 a week, $300, $400, $500, that's not enough money. Um, and, and people aren't able to, to get something like $2,000 a month. They should get more than that uh, just to survive. Um, people who are making 
you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, um, if they're not struggling, you know, give that money to people who actually need it. You know, $100 a week extra, 200 300 is not it's not sustainable. It's not going to level off and, and people are either going to have that for a limited amount of time or be or be unemployed for longer. You know, there, there are systems in the U.S. where the, the unemployment assistance programs, they're taking forever to get the money to people. And with that money, like, it's it's not enough to, to survive on, to support a family on. Um, so with food insecurity, it's it's hitting us harder. Um, it's exposing our weaknesses. And that's one of the um, main things I talked about uh, with the a few uh, podcast episodes uh, ago before um, that the coronavirus has really weakened the U.S. You know, it's, it's crippling us. You know, if we don't get that vac- vaccine, if we don't start, um, you know, making sure that we can get our numbers down, it's really going to, to kill us. It's going to you know, cripple us to the point where we, where we cannot rebound. Um, you know, Feeding America is, is one of the largest and most well-known um, food organizations, um, even in the world. It's known around the world. And they uh, are known for um, combating food insecurity. And there's still millions of people on top of the already um, 40 million or so plus who's already uh, applied for um, unemployment benefits and are unemployed. So food insecurity is pretty um, much a, a wide impacting issue. It's a social issue because it has to deal with food, has to deal with health, has to deal with you know every population uh, group that you can think you can think of. So children, adults, seniors, babies, well, all impacted by food and food insecurity. And so it does depend on. Uh, families, individuals, and how they got there, but it's really complex, you know, and it it leads you to have things like serious health complications if it's not managed, or you're forcing to, you know, decide uh, how you're spending your money if it's on a food or or medicine, medical care. It's really uh, down to uh, the the bare essentials, really. If you don't have food. Um, it, it's, it's hard to, to go far. It's hard to get up in the morning if you don't know what you're going to eat. Um, and it can damage, uh, kids, you know, it can really, uh, play so much on their health. There are studies and research about, uh, fast food. I was just looking at a headline. It was talking about, uh, if a, if a kid, um, you know, eats fast food on the regular, they're going to suffer in school. They're going to be way behind, uh, further than their peers when it comes to their schooling, how how far they are able to, you know, um, memorize and, and gain uh, new skills to retain that information. They're suffering. And it's all because they're food insecure. Uh, same thing like if they're not getting enough sleep. These are things that we need uh, to uh, operate. Food, sleep, um, things like that. And, you know, for seniors, seniors are impacted um, you know, and if you're on a fixed income, you know, you're getting your social security or you're in between meals or you don't know, you know, how you're going to pay for food or critical health care, you're food insecure. Um, you know, sometimes you, um, you know, may have a service like Meals on Wheels, which is one of the, the organizations you can uh, be a part of or uh, support, you know, financially or um, you can, you know, assist in getting maybe your grandparents on it. And it exists because there's a gap between, um, the food, 
that seniors need and can pay for um, out of their pockets and they're not getting it. You know, maybe they can't afford it, but it's because they're 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 in an age gap where they're not able to work and that's unfortunate and it's it's not fair and people should be able to live into the old age, you know, not have to pay taxes, you know. If you're if you're 8 years old, you shouldn't be having to pay taxes. You should be if you're 9 years old, why are you worrying about taxes? I ask someone about that. Um, you know, and food insecurity is one of those issues that it can be solved, definitely. Um, you know, we always tout in the U.S. that, oh, we're the richest country on the planet. You know, we, we have so much to give. We give foreign aid. We give resources all over the world. We give to our, to our, our own citizens. But we, you know, we, we shuck off immigrants and we try to stop people from coming in the U.S. Or we limit the amount of visas we're going to give. Or we, you know, make it so hard for felons to vote. Or in some states, at least, we... We complicate things so much when we don't have to. You know, there are billionaires in this country that could be giving so much uh, money away, funds away, you know, grant programs, foundations. Um, They could be making so much more um, for the people who live here, the people who have invested in their companies and their corporations. You know, uh, Walmart is now uh, boosting um, wages to about $30 or so an hour, which is great. Um, But they should have been doing that in the first place when they first opened up. Instead of uh, creating uh, sweatshops all across the world and making a name for themselves as, you know, making cheap products and sacrificing their uh, workers and their staff, uh, cutting health insurance and other benefits. It's It's just a system that is... Uh, rodfully uh, evil, and the fact that we have so much food insecurity now, it just, it makes us vulnerable to so many things, not just on top of the coronavirus. Like, if if a country wanted to go to war with the U.S., like, how would how would we be able to, to fight that enemy? We have so much on our plates right now. Um, and food insecurity and, and seeing the states that are affected, that have been affected, or or the respondents, the residents from those states that responded uh, as having uh, high levels of food insecurity. And for some of the states, I was uh, caught off guard, but for some of them, I wasn't because, like Alabama, for example, the number one state that we uh, learned about is was having uh, the highest food insecurity, they also have one of the highest levels of obesity in the U.S. So the fact that they are also fighting on the health front and uh, at the food insecurity point, I'm not surprised because either you are, are, are sacrificing your health because of the food quality and the food that you have the opportunity to eat. So in other words, you're living in food deserts or you're you're in a place where there aren't too many health food stores or vegetables, even in the region. You're fighting on that front. So you're fighting on the obesity front and you're fighting on the front where there's food that you're not able to get because it's just not available or it's priced too high or they've had to get rid of it because people aren't buying it. You know, it's, it's cause for alarm and that needs to change. You know, Alabamans... If you're listening, you know, this podcast, I hope you share this. Um, and it's it's a lot that has to change. Um, it'll get better, sure. But right now with the coronavirus uh, age of the coronavirus that we're in, it has to get better. 
Um, so when the vaccine comes and everyone gets vaccinated, um, when it's safe to do so, like this is one of the major issues that has to be fixed. The Mother Earth Minutes is where we review in the next few minutes proactive things we can all do to combat the issue in the episode and to protect Mother Earth. So we've talked about food insecurity and how the coronavirus has definitely impacted it and some of the states that have been impacted in the U.S. that have talked about uh, them as respondents uh, within those states having food insecurity and them talking about it. So one of the messages for this podcast episode is just break down uh, the statistics. So uh, one of the first is that in Feeding America, one of the organizations I talked on, uh, in the U.S., we have one in nine people who are struggling with hunger. That means you know a person who knows a person who knows a person who is struggling with hunger. That's almost 10% of the people in the U.S. So that's a lot of people. So with that, uh, one of the things I think is most clearly the option that we need to do uh, first is to help eliminate food waste. You all know food waste is one of my huge issues, waste period, but I love combating food waste easily. I did, I've did. i done several uh, different episodes about food, uh, some about food waste specifically, uh, about composting. That's one of my favorite uh, latest uh, podcast episodes I've talked about. And it's gaining popularity because people love to compost. People want to know how to combat something as small as food waste, how to keep those apple cores um, lively and turn them into nutritious compost that that, that can nourish soils and, you know, be great for your gardens, etc., where you can grow fruits and vegetables and it can self-sustain itself and and grow uh, lots and lots of produce for years to come eliminates food waste. So in eliminating food waste, you are combating food insecurity because you're making sure those food scraps go somewhere where they're supposed to. Not to the landfills, not to uh, some junky yard place, not anywhere where they're not supposed to. So food waste is a a big uh, solution when it comes to fighting food insecurity. It's going somewhere productive. It's not going somewhere where there's an end point. Number two is to figure out how to grow food more on land and help it yield more. So in 2050, there's going to be tons of hectares, millions of hectares, 120 million of natural habitats that uh, are trying to be converted uh, to uh, farming uh, in uh, developing countries. So places that are really up and coming, uh, nations that are really trying to uh, be developed, uh, in the, or they're developing now, but at the point where they're uh, getting to be developed, they're going to need a lot of space to farm. And so their natural spaces are going to be converted. So that's what the Food and Agricultural Organization of the UN says, and they estimate that. So that means that those spaces are going to be agricultural. But what does that mean? That they also have to yield more. So their their responsibility is that they can't yield 50% less uh, than what they produce currently. They have to produce way more. So the land that we are using, 
we have to be able to uh, cultivate it and cycle those plants and make sure that the soil is regenerated, that the soil is there. That's a good reason to use the compost, but the soil is then uh, rejuvenated so that the the, uh, nutrients aren't sucked out of it because that's what can sort of happen if you plant on soil repeatedly and there's nothing to uh, grapple it to hold it and so certain crops you can rotate off of it uh, figure out what works uh, best and what season that you're growing in you know and grow uh, fruits and veggies uh, seasonally and not all year round that also helps the soil Number three is to get your kids, if you have any, involved in combating childhood hunger. So they can learn uh, how to compost. They can learn uh, how to, um, you know, learn the signs of food insecurity or hunger uh, amongst their classmates. Um, They can watch documentaries with you. They can uh, take uh, a few um, uh, times to maybe go to a pantry, food shelter, and help out volunteering. This is great for kids, you know, this is great for those who want to get involved in uh, extracurricular activities or maybe some community service for when they're in high school, maybe middle school. You're getting them active. You're getting them um, uh, involved in social issues, issues that are uh, pertaining to maybe you and your community, maybe food insecurity. It's a huge issue where you live. Maybe you live in a rural place, a rural environment. And and they're they're uh, when they get involved in something like this, they're able to see the signs and do some something about it. So that when they get older or get to be you know in their twenties or thirties, they're able to uh, become part of the solution. Maybe found an organization, start a business uh, around giving back to their communities and fighting food insecurities where they lived or where they grew up. Uh, so it's a great uh, thing to get kids involved. Number four, and the last tip is to volunteer at a uh, shelter or food pantry during the busy holiday uh, season, Um, or uh, do it whenever you can. You can give money. That's definitely a way to combat food insecurity and hunger on its face. Uh, Because a lot of times organizations, they need money uh, to sustain themselves. They need hands on deck. Um, So you could, you know, join a place like Feeding America. Or internationally, uh, other organizations, you know, Heifer International, um, some other uh, national uh, organizations are Bread for the World, No Kid Hungry, you know, Meals on Wheels, that's, that's great for seniors or impacted communities, um, those who are really marginalized, and uh, Freedom from Hunger, among so many others. So, you know, you could do a lot uh, helping in these organizations with the people in front of them. Um, you know, gaining connections, but more so helping them uh, where they need you most, you know, and you're really uh, impacting their lives. Uh, you know, remembering this is something that you'll, you know, take uh, with you to your families, friends, get others involved, and it'd be a collaborative effort. So any of these tips, if you can do, especially for those who may be farmers, you know, growing your food on land uh, and definitely making the most of it, or for those who happen to be, you know, homeowners or people in apartments or people who are interested in uh, helping eliminate food waste, that's one tip uh, to uh, take hold up, you know, to combat hunger and food insecurity where you live. The 
eco fact of the day is that in 1970, Americans spent about $6 billion on fast food. In 2014, the spending rose to nearly $200 billion. By 2020, that number is expected to be over $223 billion. That fact was sourced from factretriever.com. So right now we've come to the Eco Company Spotlight, which is where we talk about amazing environmentally related products and services from amazing environmentally related companies. So you're doing their thing. And so if you have a really fun idea about one or one that you want for me to review and let me know about it, you definitely surely can. You can always voice message me or send me an email, no problem. I've been introducing companies for a while now, since February uh, 2019, and I love doing it. And so one of the companies that I'd love for you uh, to go ahead and check out is called Prana. Prana is made uh, and bred out of, was born out of Canada. So this is great for all my Canadian listeners. This is a company that you probably are familiar with. And so the co-founders are Alan Farber and Marie uh, uh, Jose uh, Richard and their story was built uh, from uh, the ground up uh, coming out of the year 2005 so they met in India and so they shared in a, a love and a joy for, for wholesome uh, uh, organic snacks and it started there they met in India and they slowly uh, uh, started selling their wares at small markets around town and anywhere that they could uh, their snacks have evolved since then greatly and they've grown so much to the point where in 2015 Prana obtained B Corp certification y'all and it's where businesses are really recognized uh, from all uh, industries uh, that they have a positive impact on the environment, the workers, customers, the community, and uh, all types of different ways. So health uh, impacts, social impacts, and these things matter. So this is a big uh, congratulations to Prana for being B Corp certified. So Prana, their vision is simply to see that their vision is big, but nonetheless that they will never forget who they are or where they come from. So as far as their commitment to sustainability, Prana does a lot. They are again B Corp uh, certified and they are a B Corp. They are certified 100% organic and they have USDA organic uh, certified ingredients. They contain uh, non-GMO verified ingredients. So they are non-GMO verified. They are gluten-free, kosher, preservative-free, sulfite-free, vegan, and above all are free of compromise. They have tons of different products that they have, and they have a lot. Let me just say that. Of all the things, they have one of the most diverse arrays of products I've ever seen, and you can buy so much from just one place. So you can buy their trail mixes. They have sweet and salty snacks. They got chocolate barks, coconut chips. They have fruit snacks. Of course, they're dried of all different types of fruit snacks from all different types of fruits. They have almond snacks and almond varieties. They have breakfast type of snacks. And they have spices, powders, coffee, uh, different varieties of coffee, flour, different type of cornflakes and other things like that. They 
They have corn oil, maple syrup, and nut butters. And they have just a ton of different uh, foods to choose from. So my experience of one of their uh, products, just one of their many uh, different types of products, was the Machu Picchu Exotic Nuts and Fruit Mix. So I had a variable um, time with it because um, of all the different products, I wish I would have chose something a bit different. I just was buying something and I happened to uh, look up on these. But I love the fact that they have a variety in their different products that they have. They have the, their, their chocolate barks, their trail mixes, they have a ton of those. Um, but for me, I would give just this particular mix 4 out of 5 green thumbs up. It uh, didn't have the flavor I wanted and, and the particular product. I mean, I love the goji berries, but I didn't like the like lightly, uh, you know, uh, angular type of spherical uh, weird um, uh, nuts in them. I, I, I'm very, um, I pick up, you know, on the foods, but uh, I just didn't like that as a snack and I wish I would have, you know, got something a bit uh, more different. Um, but I do love, I would rate all their other products that they carry like high regard because they're super healthy. You have something that, you know, it has, you know, spices there, they're flowers, they have butters, they have anything health related and conscious and has all these um, great um, parts of them. You know, they're organic and certified, you know, B Corp, gluten-free, all these different uh, benchmarks. But uh, just that particular product that Machu Picchu makes, just for me, I just wouldn't buy it again. But other ones, definitely. Now in the future, I'd definitely be going to them for all my spice needs, flour needs, nut butters, all those type of things. Now their prices for their items are great because they do it by the kilogram. Um, but the trail mixes in particular, they are $5.99 and up. Now at Prana, they can be found a few places, either online or in a few stores. They have the different uh, products that you can get them. So you can go to the website at Prana Snacks, that's P-R-A-N-A snacks.com. And then you can just go to their store locator at the top of their website. And they're found in Canada where they started. And you can also find them at other places like on Amazon or different co-ops around the country or giant and giant stores. You can also find them at uh, natural markets, so like all over. And at places like Wegmans and other stores across the U.S. And also you can find them, of course, in Canada. So Prana is on the following social media platforms. Of Facebook at Prana Snacks. They're on Instagram at Prana Snacks, all lowercase, all one word. They're on LinkedIn at Prana. And they're on Pinterest at Prana. And they're on YouTube at Prana. And Prana on all these is uh, uppercase uh, uh, letters. And for Instagram, it's always, of course, lowercase. And the Prana Snacks is uh, all one word. Now, to contact Prana, you can just go again to their website, www.pranasnacks.com, and then go to contact at the bottom of the website to either call them, fax them, uh, mail them directly, or to message them directly. We've reached the end of the episode, so I just want to thank you all for tuning in and listening. I see... You know, when people tend to click on, you know, different episodes and come back for more and more, it warms my heart. So I love you all for that. And it means so much. It means that, 
you know, you all love my research bits or the, you know, tips about, you know, the top 10, you know, things to do about this subject. So um, I love when I get that, that interaction and I love when you all come back and, you know, hopefully I get some entries in the giveaway and I have some fun with that. And, you know, if you, you know, share, you know, if you want to share some um, information about this uh, podcast episode or want to share it with a friend, you know, definitely do so. Uh, rating on, you know, Apple Podcasts and other big uh, p- uh, podcast communities, uh, that'd be great as well so that you can get, you know, more eyes to Greener Thoughts and have the reach be a bit more expanded. Um, as always, I want to thank you all for tuning in and listening as always. Uh, and so I want you all to please take care of yourselves and to please take care of the planet. I hope you all be well. Bye.